Hey, Matty, I've got a joke for you, all right? A golden retriever, a German shepherd, and a chihuahua walk into a bar. And the bartender says, okay, I want any of you three dogs to be able to use the word liver and cheese in a sentence, and the winner will get a free drink. Mm-hmm. And the golden retriever goes, okay, me, I'll go first, I'll go first. I don't like liver and cheese. And the bartender goes, that's crap, that's unimaginative. No. German Shepherd goes, okay, me, 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 me. I like liver and cheese. Bartender says, that's just as crap as the first one. And the Chihuahua says, liver alone, guys, cheese mine. <laughs> Michael, that is awful. Welcome everybody to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Today we're going to discuss the anatomy and physiology of the liver. Matty, can you begin? Where do you want to start? At the beginning. Okay, Matt's got a, a model liver in his hand which is tossing up and down in the air. Are we going to start talking about the location or function of the liver? What do you reckon? The beginning. Okay. Where it all began. Oh, embryology. No, no. I, well, I think we'll get to that. Okay. But let's start with just the basic anatomy and where it's located. How about that? Sure. So the liver is, you could probably define it as a accessory digestive organ. Would you be, would that yep. be fair? Yeah, even though it plays many different functions, mm-hmm. I, I would say it's definitely an accessory digestive organ. Or gland, possibly. Yeah, I yeah. think it's classified as the largest gland in your body. Is it's right? actually the largest internal organ of the body between 1.2 to 1.6 kilograms. Okay. So it's obviously going to be located in your abdominal cavity. So that's below the diaphragm. Below the diaphragm, which is that muscle that helps you breathe. And so the liver predominantly is located on the right side of your upper abdomen. And so, if everyone kind of feels their belly button or Doing the umbilicus, yeah, yeah, I'm there, and move upwards until you kind of hit the pointy end of your sternum, which right. is the ziphoid process. Yeah, and then if you follow the bone to the right, which is actually more cartilage, you can feel the bottom, kind of subcostal margin, the bottom of your so rib, curvature of your rib cage. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And so your liver is tucked up behind there. So it's draped by the diaphragm, and it. Basically, is behind the costal margin. On the right side. Right-hand side. So, really, most of the liver, you wouldn't be able to feel much of it. Maybe a a good physician would be able to Mm. palpate the lower parts of it. Yeah. Particularly if it's enlarged. But most of it is hidden behind your ribs or your cartilage of your ribs. Okay, cool. And so, uh, it in itself has kind of two main surfaces. Yeah. At the top of it and on the front of it, so the anterior and superior surface, is what we call the diaphragmatic surface. So yeah. you could probably guess why it's called that. It's because the diaphragm kind of rests on it. Yeah. Okay. Whereas the underlying surface, so the inferior surface or the bottom surface, is what we call the visceral, meaning organs. 
So that's where it kind of communicates or rests on a whole lot of other organs. Okay. Now, some important structures that are associated with it. We have the probably one of the biggest vessels in your body that runs just behind it. That's called a vena cava. Mm-hmm. There's two of those. There's an inferior and there's a superior. This one's the inferior. So it's kind of drained all of your legs. Okay, and it's running up behind the liver. So it's a vein. It's bringing uh, blood back big, to the heart. It's a big vein. It's a uh, a vein. You know, looking at twenty five to thirty centimeters, millimeters, millimeters, millimeters. Should I say? I was going to say in, it's a big vein in diameter. Okay, and so the liver itself is kind of situated in front of that. Okay, in front and of the inferior vena cava. Yeah. All right. And now there are a few important structures that enter either in or exit out of the liver. So. When we so if I were to just be sitting there looking at the liver, mm. external anatomy wise, yep. there's something pretty, called the falciform pr- ligament. It's right? pretty plain. It's not a an amazing looking organ, especially from the front. Yeah, the anterior the aspect is is pretty bland. This reddish brownish looking organ. Yep. And there's but there's this falciform ligament that looks like it's separating one side of the liver to the other side. Yeah, that's exactly. So it separates the left and right lobe. Okay, left and right lobe, which actually clinically isn't that important, right? The re- left and right lobe? Well, the falciform ligament in regards to anatomically separating the right and left lobe. Yeah, I think it's just an easy way to separate just from a very gross appearance. Yeah, okay. So the falciform ligament was a special type of uh, mesentery. I guess you'd call that connected tissue yeah. band. Yeah. Is that what you'd say? Yeah. That kind of comes off the front of the intestines particularly at the top end of your gut. So you're talking stomach and the first kind of two-thirds, or should I say the first half, let's say, of your duodenum. Yeah. That's the first part of your small intestine. Yeah. You have this band of tissue that kind of just runs straight to the front of your abdominal wall. So is that what separates something from being intraperitoneal to outside the peritoneal cavity? The mesentery? Yeah. Because you're going to have, I know some structures are retroperitoneal, right? Like the kidneys and some aspects of the small intestines, they're sort of sitting behind that peritoneal cavity. It's a different type of peritoneum. That's the parietal peritoneum that kind of sits at the back wall of your abdomen Mm -hmm. or the abdominal cavity. And you have a whole lot of organs that sit behind that. But when you, when you were developing your liver, let's say, so you're, you know, looking at four to eight. I'm still developing my liver. Four to eight weeks in utero, yeah. Okay, you just had this one long pipe that ran from your mouth down to your cloaca. Oh, speak for yourself. At at this point in time, yeah. Uh, now this mesentery just ran off the front of the pipe, okay, and went straight to your abdominal front wall, which okay. is yeah, you know, where your six pack is. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, <laughs> and your liver grew up into that. Okay, so it grew off the the gut wall or the gut tube. And herniated off, so it, in in. That's in fact, a project. It's a, it's a projection that comes off the tube. Yeah, it's like a herniation, oh. or a, I guess that's the best yeah, way you can herniation. explain it. Herniation, yeah. A herniation that comes off the tube and grows up, not only in this mesentery or this band, but up into the developing diaphragm. Okay. Okay, and what why that's important is because it grows and takes up much of that space, but that the fragments that's left behind is that falciform ligament. Okay. Okay, which is the, the last bit of attachment of that mesentery. All right. All right. So, 
We've got the fact we've got the falciform ligament separates anatomically what looks like the right and left lobe. Yep. That's the front. Pretty the front. boring. Go yep. to the back. You said that behind the liver you've got the inferior vena cava, which is basically one of the major uh, uh, veins that brings blood back to the heart from the inferior aspect. What mm-hmm. else do we see? You said there's another there's another couple of vessels there at the hilum or the entry and exit point of the liver. Very, very important. So that the hilum of the liver, which is the entry or the doorway, let's say, of the liver. Yeah. You have the hilum of the lungs and so forth. So yeah, that's where things go in and out. Right. And so the, the two main structures that enter, there's probably many more, but the two main ones we'll focus on now. Main vessels? The main vessels uh, that are entering is what we call the portal vein, okay, and the hepatic proper. And so the hepatic proper is the artery, Okay, which is taking oxygenated blood off the aorta or the abdominal aorta and it's taking it to the liver. Okay, okay. and the portal vein is obviously a vein, the so it's going to contain predominantly deoxygenated blood. Yes, it will have deoxygenated blood and it's just drained all your gut. So it's drained essentially from your esophagus or the lower esophagus all the way through to the p- proximal two thirds or the top two thirds. Of your rectum. So wait a so minute. All so of that intestines is going now via the portal vein into the liver. So I say, let's just outline this again. The abdominal aorta has some branches that come off it. Yep. One of which ends up at the liver, supplying yep. oxygen to the liver. That's right. Okay. Then you've got another blood vessel going to the liver, which is a vein, and this is quite unlike other organs in the body, right? Mm. So we've now got a dedicated vein that's going to the liver, but it's important because this vein has just come from other GIT viscera. So the stomachs, uh, the stomach, the small intestines, aspects of the large intestines, the pancreas and the spleen, right. where some of those, some of the contents within those organs have drained into this portal vein yep. and have now moved to the liver. Yep. So that means nutrients from the small intestines are in the portal vein. Correct. It means that some hormones from the pancreas are in the portal vein. Correct. And it also means we know that the the um, spleen plays a role in recycling red blood cells. Mm. So some dead red blood cell byproducts are in the blood, in the portal vein going to the liver as well. Sounds good. Okay. So we've got these two afferent vessels, blood supply, going to the liver. That's right. Cool. And so that's going into the hilum, or we call that the portal hepatis. Okay. That's nice. the region of the liver where you have the two, those two vessels going in and the one structure going out, which you could kind of also call in a way a, vascular, a vasculature, is the left and the right hepatic duct, which is for bile. Bile. bile that's the green that stuff, green right? stuff, yeah. And have so you ever that's vomited all the, bile before? That's all, the, that's all the waste products of the liver, I guess. You can vomit bile up, right? Bile that's been squirted into your duodenum, small intestines. If you've if you've emptied your stomach and you push and you have that retro peritoneal peristaltic, uh, so sorry, these retro peristaltic movements. Okay, so that backwards. Backwards peristalsis. You can actually squirt bile from your small intestines into your stomach, then up your esophagus, out your mouth, and it's this green alkaline, stuff. basic tasting green stuff. Mm. Never happened to me. Never happened to me. But so it can happen. Call it, why do they call it bile acids if it's alkaline? It's a good question. Do they call it bile acids? I think they do. Or is that only once it's conjugated and neutralized the hydrochloric acid from the stomach in the duodenum? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't want to say and be wrong. Well, predominantly bile salts, right? 
because they're salt, so they're, they're going to be ions. They go sodium, potassium, chloride, so forth. Hmm. Ions, electrolytes. Okay, so... We'll, we'll so that's, that's getting towards the most of the important structures of the external or the gross anatomy of the liver. Um, just for the other anatomists who are listening that want to touch more detail. Yes, for t- all two of you. <laughs> so we've got the liver that's grown up into the diaphragm. Yeah. And so there is a segment of the liver that doesn't have any exposure to the outside or any other peritoneum on it. So that's what we call the bare area of the so liver. So it's like free-floating in a way. Well, it's just kind of very intimate in the actual diaphragm. So it's basically completely intimate with the diaphragm. It can't, it's not uh, exposed to anything else. So it's not just connected by some serosal tissue, some connective tissue. It's embedded in the diaphragm. Yeah, I believe it's fairly much part of it in a way, oh, in the okay. central tendon of the diaphragm. Okay. And the, re- and the reason why that's important to know clinically is because the diaphragm actually developed from the neck and it came down the front of your chest and on the way down, it dropped off uh, pericardium, the fibrous pericardium, yeah. around your heart mm. and it, then it came around the front and then made your diaphragm or at least the central part of your diaphragm and then the liver is locked into it. And the reason why I'm saying that, because Michael's There's looking the, at me funny. There better be a reason. It's because it's come from the neck, it's dragged the nerves with it, which is C345, keeps the diaphragm alive. Ah, innovates the phrenic nerve. Phrenic nerve. And so as it's pulled it down, it innovates the fibrous pericardium. Yeah. And it innovates part of the diaphragm. And it will also give some sensory referment of the liver. And so sometimes people who have, you know, a swollen liver or an inflamed liver or even a gallbladder that's irritated, it can present up to the shoulder. That's interesting. And that's the reason why. And that that's actually interesting because the liver itself doesn't actually have any sensory neurons associated with it. So when people yeah, get not liver, intimately, I guess. No, not intimately. So that's why when a lot of people get liver disease or cirrhosis of the liver, um they don't find out because of pain. They find out because of some of the systemic effects mm. that arise from liver disease. So it does have a capsule which can be presenting as pain. But yes. I guess most of the, the intrinsic structures probably wouldn't. Okay, that's interesting. Should we talk about some function or you want to keep going about anatomy? Should we talk about functional anatomy like like some of the cellular stuff that's going on? Some of the well, tissue? I think I'll throw it. Once we get into the liver, I'll throw it to you. Oh, okay. But, but since we are just about to finish off the anatomy, I'll just mention one last important thing what? about it. What? Is when the liver is essentially developing again and it's coming off, it herniates off the foregut, which is going to be an area in the duodenum. Now, the foregut gets all its blood supply from the first branch of the aorta. So all those structures that come off the, that part of the gut gets the f- from the first branch of the aorta, which is the celiac trunk. Okay. Now, the developing liver gets kind of two main blood supplies. It gets a blood supply from the mother, which is the placenta, and it gets a blood supply from the draining yolk sac, which is kind of the developing gut. Okay. Now... Think about it, Michael. If your mother has given you placental blood, it's probably pretty good. Okay, you don't want to really process it in the liver, do you? Probably not. 
it's I oxy- trust mum. It's oxygenated. Yeah. And it's also fairly nutritious. So you don't really want to put it through your liver and waste time. So it shunts straight across through the liver into the IVC or the inferior vena cava. Okay. Now, as soon as you're born, what the doctor does, or sometimes the, the father does it, is, you know, clamps off the umbilicus or the umbilical cord. Yeah. Yeah. And so the vessels that will go in into the body from the placenta, which is the umbilical vein, becomes um, degenerated and that becomes a ligament as well. Yeah. And so if you look at the, fla- the falciform ligament, yeah. on the lower edge of that is a thickened little ligament, which is called the round ligament or the teres ligament, which is that remnants of the uh, umbilical vein. And then finally, just above that is the remnants of the um, the shunt, which is called the... Did duct- you call me? <laughs> the ductus venosum, which is the ligament of venosum. And that's, wow. that's the anatomy. Well, ho- hopefully everyone's still awake <laughs> after that. You can see I like my anatomy. He likes his anatomy. So that leaves us with... Hopefully everyone can appreciate that. The four... The four... The four... Yeah, the four... Lobes yeah. of the liver, okay, anatomically. So we've got... At the front, we just spoke about the left and the right, which is split by that big falciform ligament. Mm. But if you spin it behind, okay, then you have that teres ligament, the round ligament, and you have the ductus venosus, which is giving you, or the ligamental venosus, which is giving you two extra lobes. So you got how many? Now you've got four in total. So you've got the quadrate and the chordate. I thought there were eight segments. Yeah, now you're getting really anatomically detailed, and you don't want to open that can no not with you that's for sure so oh, let's leave it there from the everyone. external surface All and right. i'm gonna can we talk about the interesting stuff now can yeah. we talk about how the liver works so let's now jump into the liver okay jumping into the liver when we look at the liver it's basically uh comprised of a whole bunch of little things called lobules now these lobules are made up of a bunch of different types of cells and these lobules are hexagonal in shape Mm-hmm. How many sides does a hexagon have, Matty? Six. Six sides. So picture a hexagon. Mm-hmm. And what you need to picture is that, remember we told you about those two blood vessels. We said the portal vein has a whole bunch of nutrients in it yep. from the intestines, has some hormones in there, so insulin and glucagon from the pancreas, and also has some dead red blood cells in the form of what we call bilirubin from the spleen, and that's coming into the liver. It starts to branch and branch and branch, and... Small branches of this portal vein go to every corner of this lobule. Mm. All right. Now, the hepat- so each side, every corner, every six of those. Well, look, it's hexagonal, <laughs> but not, you know, generally it's hexagonal. But every so corner. So the liver. How many of these lobules is, would be in the liver? So you said the liver's made up, up to one point seven kilos. Yeah. One point two to one point six kilos. There's between fifty thousand to a hundred thousand of these lobules. So it's basically human just liver. repeating lobule Over units. and over and over again. Okay. That's right. And so each one of them, every corner is going to have so a... So each corner has... Portal vein. A little part of the portal vein. Correct. And a little part of that hepatic artery. That's right. So the hepatic artery as well, which is predominantly oxygenated. Okay. Now, as this, as this blood flow comes in, right, it actually mixes in a sinus. So like a little cavity, okay. right? So as it comes into the corner of the hexagonal lobule, the blood mixes together and is draining down this little sinus to the middle of this hexagon. Okay. Okay. Now, in the middle, we so have... So all the sides are coming in towards the middle. That's right. 
like spokes on a bike. So think of a bike wheel that's hexagonal in shape with all the spokes going to the middle and that middle is another vein. It's called the central vein and that ultimately will drain into the vena cava. The inferior vena cava. Inferior vena cava and back to the heart, okay? okay? Now, think about this. You've got the portal vein, which is predominantly deoxygenated, but has nutrients and, and some hormones and so forth. And maybe bacteria? And bacteria. And the reason why is because when you're absorbing nutrients from the small intestines and electrolytes and water from the small and large intestines, you're also going to get some absorption of bacteria mm. into this portal blood supply. And maybe toxins? And some toxins, depending on what you've eaten. Mm. Maybe some drugs, mm-hmm. depending on what you've eaten. And all of this is going to be coming into that portal vein, into the lobules of the liver. Right. Now, that's also de- predominantly deoxygenated, right? Or it has a low oxygen concentration okay. compared to the hepatic artery that's coming in. So that hepatic artery is coming in predominantly to feed the cells of that lobule. Now, it mixes. Now, the thing is this. This is interesting. Of those two blood supplies that's coming in, it equates to 30% of your cardiac output. 30% of the blood that's ejected from your heart every minute mm-hmm. goes to your liver. Okay. Which that's means which means one liter of blood goes to your liver via your portal vein every minute. One liter. One liter. And 300 mils of blood goes to your liver via your hepatic artery, okay. which means that you get around about one mil of blood per gram of liver tissue. Per l- liver lobule? No, per liver <laughs> <laughs> tissue. <laughs> okay, so does it make sense? 75%, so, that, so that's one liter of portal vein blood, 300 mils of hepatic artery blood, which means 75% of the blood going to the liver is portal vein. Okay. 25% is hepatic artery. Which means, because of this high flow through of the of the, uh, the portal vein, you actually end up getting 50% of the oxygen comes from the portal vein, 50% of the oxygen comes from the hepatic artery. And you may ask the question, but if the portal vein is deoxygenated, how is it delivering oxygen? Well, when the oxygen goes via your arteries around your body and delivers to the tissues, not all the oxygen jumps out of your hem- mm. off the hemoglobin. Mm. Okay, so we still have quite a large amount of oxygen bound, yeah. even in your veins. Yeah, right. So you get equal oxygenation. All right, pass. Let's go beyond you that said point. My stuff was boring. No, no, no. This is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this probably isn't going to be the 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 most, most lively, downloaded uh, lively podcast that we're going to produce. It's important though, Matthew. It's important. Okay, so S- a, a, as this stuff is as this blood is draining through these sinuses, right? So the corners of these. Uh, uh, Hexagons, the blood's mixing, and it's draining down the sinuses to the central vein. Right, like a gauntlet. Like a gauntlet. Now, either side of these sinuses, we've got epithelial cells, and they're called sinusoidal epithelium, right? Mm. Now, they've got gaps in between them, so they're fenestrated. That means they're porous, they have holes, which means as the blood goes down these sinuses, some of the blood leaks through these sinusoid epithelia. And these bigger holes than a normal capillary would be? Absolutely. These holes are big enough for proteins to get through, but they're actually not big enough for cells to get through. Like? Like red blood cells or white blood cells, for example. So, basically, all the fluid part of your blood can get out, 
Yep, and some proteins. And some big proteins. Yep. Like albumin, let's say. Like albumin and maybe some proteins bound to fats that, that can be carried yeah. around the body. But red blood cells, white blood cells dun shouldn't, dun. shouldn't get out. No go. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Now, the reason why we've got these sinuses with the, these little holes, these pores for some of the blood to leak out of is because as they move through these little holes, they hit the most important cell type within your liver called hepatocytes. Okay. So the term hepato means liver. Yep. We say hepatic, think liver. Hepatocytes, site means cell. Hepatocyte, liver cells. Okay. And they play so many different functions in the body. They actually have four major functions, these cell types in the body. Do you know or, what they are? Or Can category you, of function. Or categories of function. Can you list one for me, Matthew? A function of a hepatocyte. I know for sure it does metabolic kind of things. To energy metabolism? Yeah. Like, yeah. So energy metabolism is telling you that it plays a role in either utilization or storage of glucose, protein, uh, glucose, amino acids, and fatty acids and glycerol. Mm. Okay? So that's one thing. Well, do you know another function? Well, I know it's a detoxifying organ. Correct. So probably something around that. So it plays a role in protection and detoxification. So that means it can actually metabolize or just play around with the chemical structures of certain compounds that are coming in. Mm. All right. It can also play a role in protein synthesis. So the liver actually synthesizes really important proteins. What's the most important protein? I don't think you can say that. What's the most important protein? What's okay? All right. What's what's the one? will get left out. Very true. What's one of the most important proteins synthesized by the liver in the body? Albumin. Albumin. Fifteen percent of proteins are albumin. In your blood. In your blood. Okay. There's actually half a kilogram of albumin in your body. Wow. And albumin are basically carrier molecules, right? They carry a bunch of stuff throughout your bloodstream. And they also play an important role for an osmotic pull bring fluid back into your capillaries so they keep blood volume yep very so right. the water yep. the blood so if you lose that out. If, so in some diseases like kidney disease or mm. obviously in liver disease you have low amounts of albumin which would call what hypoalbuminemia yep that could lead to fluid stain off into your tissue so when we think about bigger. that it's basically you think of a bucket with some water in it and you put a membrane in the middle of the bucket and you pour a whole bunch of sugar one side of that membrane and the other one's just water. Osmosis is basically water is going to move to the side that's got the most concentrated stuff. Mm. I always think about whichever side's more concentrated has a pulling effect yep. and pulls water towards it. Yep. So if the albumin is either not in the blood or somehow has moved out of the blood into the interstitium, so the area between the cells, so in the tissue, water's going to go in that direction. Mm. Does that make sense? And, so. and the blood plasma is predominantly water. Okay, and there's one more function that these hepatocytes play, and that is um, in regards to solubilization and storage of some of these important compounds. Like? Well, like uh, producing lipoproteins. So lipid can't, lipids, like fatty substances, cannot be transported in the blood because they don't like water and the blood's predominantly water. Okay. So we bind a lot of these fatty substances to proteins and they're called lipoproteins. Right, and that's part of your cholesterol when you get it measured, isn't part it? Part of your cholesterol. You have a look at uh, cholesterol that's floating around your bloodstream bound to proteins, mm. lipoproteins. 
And also, I believe it plays a part in fat vitamins or vitamins that are fat soluble. Fat soluble vitamins. That's okay, right. So that's A. A. E. No, D. K. D. E. K. Deca. Vitamin D. Vitamin E. Vitamin K. Vitamin A. Okay. Okay. Deca. Deca. That's how I remember my fat-soluble vitamins. Okay. And the water-soluble is going to be your, your B vitamins and your C vitamin. So does it store them? Yes. Okay. Stores them, which means you can OD on those vitamins because they're fat-soluble. They're stored in your, your fat. Yeah. You can OD on water-soluble, but you basically pee them out. If you've ever taken multivitamin and you pee fluorescent orange, that's your Bs and your Cs, my man. Oh. Okay. Um, all right. So let's go back. As the this blood's mixed in the sinuses the sinusoids, and it starts to drain down towards the central vein, drain the main vein. As it goes down, it's going to start m- pushing its way through these little porous holes in the in the sides of the sinuses and go into the hepatocytes. Okay. Now, these little sinus holes are interspersed with some cells called Kupfer cells. Do you know what Kupfer cells are? Kupfer cells? No, Kupfer. K-U-P-F-E-R. God, I hope I spelled that right. They're macrophages, big eaters. Big eaters. They why are they called? Why are they called? <laughs> because they eat stuff. They eat the bacteria. No, 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 no. Why is it called copter cells? They're named after somebody. Uh, eponym. Pun. An eponym. Yeah. <laughs> named after some old dead guy, as most things in the body are. We're right. starting to move away from that. So what these copter cells are? They're macrophages, and they eat any bacteria, for example, that may have just come from the bowel via the portal vein and to get rid of it so it doesn't go into the central kill, they kill mm-hmm. they murder go oh, what who what really old yeah fragile go on oh this doesn't sound arthritic good. yeah red. <laughs> arthritic <laughs> <laughs> red blood cells red blood cells so basically anything that could potentially damage the body via the so when your red blood, blood cells get old yeah and they grow a white beard yeah Regardless of their sex, yes, they grow a white beard, yes, and they <laughs> they get um, obese, yeah, unfortunately, and they usually like a nice looking red blood cell looks like a bit of a donut. It does, but how long? What's the lifetime of a red blood cell? Do you know? Uh, three months, hundred and ten, hundred and twenty days. Okay, isn't that three months? Yeah, around about. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this uh, fat little. Old okay. red blood cell. Uh, no, yeah, I like to a lot of adjectives point. here. <laughs> I think everyone's got the picture it, of it. Um, loses its flexibility. Yeah, and it's arthritic. Yes. so it can't. It's not arthritic, by the way. It can't. <laughs> it can't bend around corners and so forth. Yeah, so it get it gets plugged. Yeah, in certain structures. Correct. And it wants to get killed. Mm. It actually it it doesn't want to get killed. No. But your body wants to knock it off because it's not going to be uh, do its job anymore. Where's it get all plugged up in? So predominantly where it occurs is the spleen. The spleen. The spleen. The elephant graveyard for red blood cells. That's right. But your liver can do it also because you would. The next question Michael was going to ask me, which was, Matthew, um, if you didn't have a spleen, uh, what would take care of your red blood cells? And I would say. Your You'd liver. say, I don't know, Michael. Can you <laughs> answer that for me? Your liver. I'll defer to you. Your okay. liver. Okay. And it's through these macrophages called... Kupfer cells. All right. All right. That's now, good. That's interesting. one side point. Oh, please I, go on. I thought this was interesting. Yeah. In your developing fetal body... Well, my current developing fetal <laughs> body... Your red blood cells 
which is the developing ones, the, the new ones, the baby ones. Yes, yes, we know developing This is means. hemopoiesis. Yeah. Okay. That's carried out at least at one portion in your developing self by the liver. So yeah. your liver does have hemopoietic functions. Okay. Okay. So at one point in time, your liver was the producer of new red blood cells. But not anymore. And now, yeah. it's the killer. Ah, uh, look at that. Isn't that amazing? How roles are reversed yeah. over time. Very interesting. You like that, didn't you? I do like that. Okay, back to doesn't, you. Just, uh, just quickly on the whole dead red blood cells in the spleen. Doesn't the dead red blood cells contribute to why our poo's brown? Correct. And it's also um, why your urine's yellow. Really? Yeah. Okay. So... Let's discuss this quickly now. Can we discuss this? this yeah, 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 let's do so it. This is one. I think we said in the last podcast we were going to talk about why poo's brown. Yeah, so this is uh, one of the functions, the many functions of the liver. It's to process the byproduct of dead red blood cells. Gotcha. And the byproduct is what we call bilirubin. Bilirubin. Okay, so bilirubin is a byproduct of heme. Sounds like an 80s musician, bilirubin. Right. Um, so. In your red blood cells, it's jam-packed with hemoglobin, which is the protein that carries oxygen. Yeah. Okay. Now, when your red blood cells die, like we spoke about, they get aged, they get killed, and all this hemoglobin shouldn't just be excreted because it's got some really good, important stuff. So what the macrophage does, whether it's in your spleen or whether it's in your liver, it will break, break it all up into different parts. Yep. So the globulum part, mm-hmm. okay, globin, yeah, okay, it will be repackaged into proteins. So like amino acids. Yeah. Gotcha. Whereas the heme component, yeah, you want to recycle the iron because that's very important metal. Ah, true. And so that will probably get changed off into I think ferritin. Ferritin, yeah. Which then gets shot off to the liver to yep. be there repackaged and so forth. Perfect. But the so we're recycling so of hemoglobin, we're recycling the globin, the protein part. We're recycling the the iron part. So what about the heme part? The heme becomes quite dangerous, toxic. Ah. And so this is the bilirubin section. So we're going to do something with yeah. this heme. So if you get bilirubin building up in your blood, okay, yeah, it will cause you to go yellow. And so, so wait a minute, this has something to do with jaundice, right? Yeah, exactly what it is. So jaundice is yellowing of your, either your eyes, the whites of your eyes, or your skin by an increased amount of bilirubin. And that's got to do with... Oh, that makes sense. So if your liver's damaged, mm. it means it can't process this bilirubin. Correct. Um, because the bilirubin's supposed to go... supposed to be processed and then sent to the small intestines, right? Well, let's get to that. Let's okay, get to that. Okay. But just to illustrate the point one more time. So if I was to whack you in the uh, arm okay. with a, bat, gonna, a baseball bat. All right. Why are you pulling a baseball bat out? Can <laughs> we let's just let's just stay with the that, let's just stay all right. Ah, okay. Okay, so See, now the Michael, things Matt will do for this podcast. So, ah. <laughs> so now Michael has what we call a hematoma in his bicep. Yes. So he's got effectively uh, hemorrhage. Thank you. Into his muscle. Cool. So bleeding into the muscle, and his muscle will become bruised. Yep. Okay. Which is why you know that day, maybe tomorrow, and maybe the day after, it's gone red, dark red to purple. I think everyone can kind of sympathize. Everyone with knows it. a bruise. And then it starts to go a weird color. Yeah. What color? Green. Greeny. Yellow. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the Billy Rubin. 
So oh. your macrophages and your muscle yeah. are eating up all the red blood cells that spilled out in your bruise. Yeah. And it's breaking it all down, but the bilirubin it can't really do much with it. That becomes the yellowing colour. Nice. Okay, so the bilirubin that's in the liver mm. then gets shot off to the small intestines. Almost, just pause. Ah. So it's at the moment we just let's say spleen. Yeah. Okay, the bilirubin has been that byproduct of the heme. Yeah. But the bilirubin at this point is what we call fat soluble, yeah. which means it can't dissolve in blood. Gotcha. So it needs a carrier. Yes. And it's the protein carrier. Which one, do you and know? What's the biggest one or the according to Michael Dodorich, which is the most important protein Albumen. in the body? Albumin. Yeah, so albumin <laughs> comes along, the bilirubin jumps on board. Yeah. Okay, and we take off to the liver. This is called unconjugated bilirubin. Nice. Okay, so off we go, and now we enter the liver yeah. through the portal system. Yep. Okay, we diffuse through all those um, lobules. Yeah, the, and the sinusoids and, and little gaps in yep. between. Yeah, and then we then go into these hepatocytes. Perfect. And in the hepatocytes, basically, what the one of the functions of the hepatocyte is to add a water water soluble aspect to that bilirubin gotcha. called glu- gluconic acid. Nice. Okay. And then make it water soluble. So this process is called conjugation. Okay. Okay. And then what we do is we drop it off into the bile. Ah. And before we proceed, I think you should just tell the listeners about bile? Of how um, okay. in, the, in the lobule yeah. you've got the blood flowing in one direction but all the waste products that come out the back of the hepatocyte then goes into the bile. All right. So just to elaborate on what Maddie said, with those two blood vessels coming into the lobule, the hepatic vein, uh, the portal vein and the hepatic artery, I said they mix in the sinusoid and then they leak out via the little gaps in the sinusoid. They go to the hepatic cells and they get taken up and they may metabolize or... or uh, conjugate or detoxify, whatever it, those hepatocytes are doing, then what they can do is they will start to release some of these products back into the sinuses. But... On the other side, right? But, 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 so that's on the same side that it came in, but on the other side of the hepatocytes, on the opposite side, it can release some other stuff. Mm. And this is bile. Yep. So on one side of the hepatocytes where that mixed or blood one face. on one face where that mixed blood came in, it does what it needs to do and can release some stuff back into that via that same side into the sinuses, the sinusoids. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, face. It, face, it can release bile. Bile, the waste product. And that drains into little what we call canaliculi, mm-hmm. like little canals. And these are called bile canaliculi. Mm. And then they come together to form bile ducts and a bile vessel. Mm. And this bile vessel is located next to those other two vessels. But this flow is going the opposite direction. But this flow is going in the opposite direction. So instead of going towards that central vein, it's going away from that central vein to where those other two vessels are. Which Mm. means we have three vessels at the corner of every lobule, at the corner of every hexagonal lobule. We have the portal vein going towards the middle, the hepatic artery going towards the middle, and the bile vessel going away from the hexagonal lobule. So what I I took from that is that you... Something interesting? Yeah, you are very similar to a hepatocyte. Oh, in what way? (laughs) (laughs) Two-faced. Where's that baseball bat? (laughs) 
All right, so... So so now we've spoken about... Do you so want to talk about the components of bile? Obviously, you said Billy Rubens in... Conjugated Billy Rubens in bile. Yep. Do we want to talk about what else is in the bile? What else has the hepatocytes chucked Cholesterol? in? Cholesterol, very important. So the majority of bile is actually water. Mm-hmm. 97 to 99% of it's actually water. Okay. But then... Take your word for that. But then the next highest proportion is cholesterol. Cholesterol, which is a type of fat? In a way. And then we've got... Bilirubin, yeah, and then the bile salts, bile salts, electrolytes, and which so forth. makes the product look green. That's right, and very alkaline, so basic. Okay, All right. So the pH of it's above seven. Yep, and so that then gets drained out of the liver via the left or right hepatic duct. Okay, and when you're not really eating or needing to eat, it will then get shot off through the cystic duct into the bladder of your liver, called the Gall bladder. Right. And that will sit there and emul- not, not emulsify, <laughs> concentrate. It will just become more and more concentrated. So you're saying the bile is produced by the liver and stored by the gallbladder. Correct. And as it sits in the gallbladder, it can concentrate. Yep. And that concentration process has to do with the level of cholesterol, right? The more cholesterol you have, the more concentrated your bile is. Yeah, I'm not sure. And... The more cholesterol you have, the more likely you are to produce. Tell me, gallstones. Oh. Do you know the four Fs of of uh, gallstone pathophys? Uh, I've never heard of this. I don't think. Really? Okay. The four Fs. So the individuals who are most likely. Oh, okay. Sorry, the individuals who are most likely to develop gallstones. The four Fs. Female. Female is one. Forties is another one. Fertile is the third one, and fat is the fourth one. How fertile are you at 40? Yeah, good question. Well, many people are fertile at 40. But the female and fertile aspect has to do with estrogen. Okay. High levels of estrogen lead to high levels of um, cholesterol within the blood, mm, which means high levels a good of one. Well cholesterol done. in the blood. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Thank you for being so condescending. Um 40s. Talking of descending, yeah. uh, we are now going to the bowel. Wait, so I don't want to finish the other two Fs, you, what they represent? You said them all. No, I just oh, said female's estrogen. pretty straightforward. Female and fertile make sense because it's estrogen. 40s, because... Yeah, that's fairly obvious. Why? Age. Yeah, but what's <laughs> age got to do with gallstones? It's got to do with the fact that, obviously, gallstones present later at that age in life. Okay, okay? it takes a little bit... What about 50s? Well, it can. This is predominantly. I knew I shouldn't have gone through the four Fs. And then fat, obviously, the more fat you ingest, the more cholesterol you're going to have. Oh, okay, it's not, now it's you not can a, move It's not on. obese. All right, let's just, we'll move on to the next part. Okay, and then we're going to descend from the gallbladder down into the duodenum. Okay. Okay, so this is taking the bile now down to the intestine. And funnily enough, this is the same point where the liver exited the foregut in the embryogenesis when we were developing in the embryo. Oh, that part where everyone fell asleep and didn't listen. Yeah. So where it actually came out, herniated out and went up into the you know the mesentery and the diaphragm, this is actually the point where it did it. Okay? Gotcha. So, so this is the main pancreatic duct. Okay. And so what happens here, let's go back to the bilirubin. Yeah. The bilirubin's now being conjugated by the hepatocytes, so it's now water-soluble. It's now been put in with bile and now it's taken down to the duodenum where it now enters the duodenum and goes with all the food. Gotcha. So the bilirubin component becomes 
modified again, yep. but by bacteria. Okay, into what? It actually then makes it back to being water soluble. So it takes that kind of gluconic acid off it again. And you it mean water insoluble? It makes it, yes, that's right. Water <laughs> insoluble now. So I think it makes it into urobilogen. Urobilin, yep. Euro, okay. Urobilinogen. Yeah, well, sure. And so the <laughs> not sure. That's what it is. Urobilinogen. And so I think <laughs> it's, it's like potatoes and potatoes. Um, and so that urobilogen. Bilinogen. Bilinogen. Yes. <laughs> urobilogen. It it gets. I think about ten to fifteen percent of it gets reabsorbed. Correct. Back into the blood. Yeah. Which then. Probably half of that it goes back into the liver and then gets dropped off into the bile again. So that's like the recycling of bile. Yeah, right. And the other part, other half of that, or the other, let's say, 5%, will get taken into the main blood to the kidneys where the kidneys activate it from urobilogen. Urobilinogen. Into urobilin. That's right. And, that's and that makes out. it your urine go yellow. Green, yellow. Wow, you need to see a doctor. And so <laughs> yeah, that remaining amount of urobilogen, which is in your gut, continues to move down your gut, down through the long, long trip, yep. where it gets oxidized by bacteria down towards the large bowel. Into what? Into... Stercobilin. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Stercobilin, yeah. which is what makes your poo... Brown. Okay. So, if I were to summarize that process very quickly, can bile I just, being produced. Can I just add one point? Yep. Um, just since we're talking about the, the bilirubin, um, just in any kind of deficit in that pathway, if there is a problem, that's what would lead to your jaundice. So, if you have excessive amounts of red blood cells destruction, so mm. if you have hemolysis or hemolytic anemia, where yep. you kill off too many, that would overload the liver with so much bilirubin coming back and that would cause a form of jaundice okay if you have issues with the hepatocyte itself so the cells that you spoke about in the actual lobule become deficient it can't conjugate it so that means you get a buildup of unconjugated okay and you'll go yellow such as hepatitis or cirrhosis or if you get a gallstone like you mentioned and it gets plugged in the pipe on the way down to the duodenum. That means all the bile builds back up into the liver, but that's actually already conjugated. So that conjugated blood, conjugated bilirubin goes back in the blood, and that would also make you go yellow. So because it gets redistributed from the blood to the periphery. Yeah. So that one of those three ways is generally how if a person needs to go yellow, that's the pathway. So if a person needs to go yellow. If a person accidentally, if accidentally wakes up and they're yellow. Yeah. Now you know. Now I know. And that's that's when you get jaundice in newborns. They haven't that ends one of the enzymes that's yeah. involved in this process actually hasn't been the gene expression hasn't been turned on yet. Mm, or it's and not as efficient as it should be. Yeah, that's yep. right. All right. So. So that's the Billy Rubin processing. Cool. Do you want to quickly talk about? The metabolism of yeah, sugars let's do and that. stuff? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so some of the main functions of the liver has to do with protein metabolism, carbohydrate metabolism, and lipid metabolism. Mm. Okay, so where do we begin with this? Well, it's important to know that when we look at the liver, the liver will store glucose. That's one thing. So the so liver will store glucose when it receives 
receives some of that sugars from the portal vein. Yep. And that sugar comes in. Now, remember, when you've got sugar in the GIT, mm-hmm. glucose. Three, Let's just say you had a big, you just had a can of Coke. Had a can of Coke, six pack of donuts, right? So, blood glucose levels gone up. Now, that's going to go into these hepatocytes. And with the help of a hormone that's released by the pancreas mm-hmm. called insulin. Okay. Right? It's going to so trigger. Both, both insulin and both the sugar has come into the liver via the, port, the portal vein. Correct. Okay. And the insulin is going to tell the hepatocytes to take that glucose and store it. Okay. Now, remember, glucose came from carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get stored as carbohydrates. It gets stored as something called glycogen. Okay. And all that is is a glucose clicked into a glucose, clicked into a glucose, clicked into a glucose. So that's kind of like the animal form of starch. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. And that's how we store it. So, so that's the stored and that, form. And that's the, the point of that is to bring your blood sugar levels down. Correct. Okay. So now we've got this stored glycogen. And it's stored for later because what's it stored for? Because glucose we use to create ATP, the energy currency in the body. the body. Okay? So, but it's bad for you to have high levels of blood sugar for long periods of time. That by definition is... We spoke about... You drank that. Diabetes. I did. I drank a little bit of that sugary, which means that that, that sugar, that glucose that I drank, will stimulate the pancreas, the beta cells, to release insulin, and both will travel through the liver via the portal vein, tell the hepatocytes to store that glucose as glycogen. Wonderful. Okay, now, you said that's after eating. What if I haven't eaten for four, uh, six to eight hours? We need to now get some energy. Mm. We're going to use that glycogen. Yeah, so I would imagine that the same organ that produced the insulin, which was? Pancreas. The pancreas would pick up somehow that the blood sugar is low. Correct. Because you haven't eaten for a while. Correct. But instead of releasing insulin, it releases a thing called glucagon. Glucagon, not gong. It was. It's a silent G. <laughs> <laughs> so glucagon is yeah. released, and that will get dropped off into the portal vein. Correct. Well, the splenic, the splenic vein into the portal vein. Yeah. Which will get taken to this lobule. Yep. Which will get taken to the hepatocyte. That's right. And the glu- glucagon stimulates yeah, a process. Tells the liver cell. Yep. We're starving here. Yep. We need some glucose. That's right. And so it breaks down the glycogen. Into glucose again. And you'd call that glycogenolysis? Glycogenolysis. Glycogen, referring to the glycogen, lysis meaning split apart. Sounds great. So now we've got glucose. What do we do with it? Well, we need to turn it into ATP. So glucose goes through this big pathway called glycolysis, which ultimately turns into something called pyruvate. Pyruvate jumps into the mitochondria, goes through a cycle called the Krebs cycle, uh, which releases... uh, Hydrogen, ion, uh, hydrogen and carbon dioxide and some ATP. That hydrogen goes to the electron transport chain of the mitochondrial wall, which releases about or produces about 30 to 32 ATP molecules. Mm. So but this is happening energy. everywhere in the body, right? Not yeah, just absolutely. No, that, yeah. that's very true. So but the whole, the whole point of what the is doing here is just to keep the blood sugar levels at the right level. Yeah, we'll stick to that. Yeah. We'll stick to that. So it's keeping blood sugar levels at the appropriate level. And right. it's, I think it's also important to note here that if you run out of glycogen in the liver, 
right? Yeah. Your body can actually, or your liver, should I say, can make glucose out of other things, can't it? Yeah, very true. So let's just say we've depleted all our glycogen stores. Let's do an example here. Okay. Of the guy who got his arm caught whilst canyon in America. So 48 hours? No, I think it was longer than that. No, wasn't that the name of the movie? No, 120 uh, hours. Yeah, 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, that makes that's five days. Makes more sense than two days. So he was... Let's just not go into the detail of it, but he essentially he was going out, going without food for five days. Five days. Okay. So within the first 24... So he hasn't eaten. Yeah. Within the first 24 hours, 30 hours, we basically... The liver uses glycogen. Yeah, 24 hours. 24 hours if you're in a stressed environment, 12 to 24. And that keeps the blood glucose... His blood glucose going okay. Correct. Correct? All the cells are okay because of the glycogen. Enough, gly- but the enough glycogen releases out of glucose. the glycogen. Yep. So what now? Okay, so now we need to make glucose, but we don't have glycogen to make the glucose. Mm. So we need some other metabolic means. Mm. Luckily, we have proteins and we have fats in the body which can break down. So proteins will break down into amino acids Mm -hmm. and some of these amino acids can actually be used, not all of them, but some of these amino acids can be used to create glucose. Perfect. Mm. Fatty acid... uh, Sorry, fat within adipose tissue, within fatty tissue. Can, can we just pause one second? I know you hate my pause in. Yeah. But I think there's important one thing to say here. When you break down an amino acid, um, it has an end to it, the amino end, which can be quite tricky, can't it? It can. Because it produces a nitrogen with some hydrogens. Correct. And that makes a product that you would use to clean your floor with. Yeah, ammonia. And so you don't really want that to be building up in your blood. No. So when you play around with protein metabolism, you also produce ammonia and other nitrogenous wastes. And so you can't just release that or your liver can't just release ammonia, right? No, it captures it in the form of urea. And so in your hepatocyte, it needs to modify it and put it into urea. That's right. And then that can get excreted by the kidney. Yeah, correct. Absolutely right. That's an important point. Very important point. Because that is one of the big dysfunctions when you when your liver starts failing. Very true. And so if your urea isn't being modified mm. and it stays as ammonia, you yep. can develop certain neurological deficits like hepatic encephalopathy, which yeah. is some significant brain changes. Absolutely. Sorry. No, no. Go, no, go it's on. a good clinical point. So the protein can be broken down into amino acids. Some of those amino acids will be used to be able to produce glucose that we can use for energy. Mm -hmm. As a byproduct, we produce ammonia and other nitrogenous wastes, Mm -hmm. which then can be passed through urea in the urine. We've released that dangerous byproduct. Okay. Um, But you can also make glucose from fats. Okay. Okay. So fats are held in your... Adipose tissue. tissue, Correct. And so we take those fats and we break them up, which is predominantly stored as triglycerides, Mm -hmm. and we chop them up into glycerol and fatty acids. Okay. Okay. Now, the glycerol Mm -hmm. can also turn into glucose. Okay. And what about the fatty acids? Well, the fatty acids cannot because they jump into that pathway a little bit too late. Okay. So you know how I said glucose turns into pyruvate, which mm. then goes into the mitochondria and so forth? Well, once you go to pyruvate, that is reversible. So pyruvate can go back to into glucose. glucose. But once that pyruvate's jumped into the mitochondria and turned into a product called acetyl-CoA, yeah. can't go backwards. Mm. And so fatty acids jump into the pathway to acetyl-CoA. Can't go backwards. 
which means fatty acids can be used to create ATP via that acetyl-CoA cycle, the Krebs cycle. But let's just say you're starving yourself of sugars. You're on the which Atkins is, diet. Which is happening in this guy. Exactly. So you start to break down all these fats into glycerol, you're making glucose, yeah. and into these fatty acids. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Into these fatty acids, and these fatty acids jump into acetyl-CoA, mm -hmm. and you, create, you start really overworking this Krebs cycle. Now, when you're throwing too much acetyl-CoA in, more than it can push out ATP, it starts to backlog. And when this backlog occurs, we need some place to put this acetyl-CoA. It can't go backwards, remember? Right. So it can't turn into glucose. It has to go somewhere else. Okay. And what it turns into is something called ketones. And ketones are an alternate energy source that some tissues in the body, especially the brain, can use to create ATP. Is this like where the keto diet comes in? Well, this is the ketogenic diet where you okay. break down fats to produce ketones. These ketones cross the blood-brain barrier, go to your brain. Mm. These ketones are beta-hydroxybutyrate, acetoacetone, and acetone. acetone. Okay? These and are acetone the, is like nail polish? Like nail polish. And that is possibly why you would smell... Sweet. Sweet. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, so it, this, this... What's his name? Who? Oh, I forget his name. Akin? Uh, the guy that's Canyon in. Uh, look, doesn't matter about the specifics. So at the moment, he's breaking down his fats. Yes. Okay. And depending on how much fat stores you have would depend on how long you can go with this. Absolutely right. Okay. Absolutely right. So that's, in, that's interesting. So we've got carbohydrate metabolism, the protein metabolism, and lipid metabolism. Yeah. Of All done by hepatocytes. Correct. So basically, any dysfunction in the hepatocytes, not only we saw... The problem with bilirubin and you go yellow. Yeah. But if you have dysfunctional hepatocytes with the glucose side of things, you could either get hypoglycemia mm. or hyperglycemia. Correct. Or if you've got problems in the protein metabolism, you could get a buildup of the ammonia, yeah. which is going to be devastating. Absolutely. Or because the protein metabolism also not only uses protein for energy, yeah. but it can also package proteins into other proteins like we plasma proteins, yeah, like albumin. So any dysfunction there would essentially cause the person to have under amount or a dysfunctional type yeah. of plasma protein. Yeah. And some important ones, they're all important, but some important ones of note is albumin. Yep, I said that's a very important one. Yeah. Uh, there's also one called angiotensinogen, yep. which is important f to maintain blood pressure. And there's also fibrinogen which is an important clotting factor, so a person who doesn't produce this... And cytokines. ...won't be able to clot. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Very true. Uh, and then down in the fats, we've not only spoke about fats in terms of using them to energy, but you need to transport fats out to the fat cells and bring them back from the fat cells. And this is the lipid density proteins or something, right? Yeah, the LDLs, right? And VLDLs. Okay, so one's good, one's bad. So the HDL, yeah. so the liver kind of sends off... So high-density lipoproteins. ...sends off kind of empty ones yeah. out to the periphery, yeah. and they kind of collect fat along the way. So that's why they're good, because they pick up things in your cholesterol, like cholesterol buildup in your arteries and so forth. So LDLs will... Or HDLs, sorry, are empty, and they're going to pick up cholesterol from the bloodstream and take it to the liver for processing. Yeah. Okay. And, and the, the other ones... LDLs is taking 
out to the body. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and they all um, drop it off on the way. Like they'll spill their loads along the way. Yeah, I don't know if I like that that description, but yeah. Okay, so that's the lipid transport. Anything else do you think we should discuss quickly about the metabolism? Oh, just general or just generally liver liverly. Oh, liver alone. Um, I think we should talk about. Do you reckon we should talk about portal hypertension? Okay. What about briefly? I'll try and do it briefly. How's oh, that? Here we go. So, well, I'll ask, I'll ask you some questions along the way and you will see how we go. So, we spoke about the portal vein draining all your gut. So, the main tributaries is a vein that drains your small intestines, which is called the superior mesenteric. Yeah. You've got the vein that drains your large intestine, which is called the inferior mesenteric. Yeah. And you've got the vein that drains kind of your stomachish, pancreas, st- spleen, called yeah. the splenic. And, and they all go into the portal vein. Okay, so if you, like a branching tree, you've got the portal vein as the main portion and it branches, or it has branches coming in, like yeah. a reverse tree, I suppose. Reverse tree. Uh, branches that are coming from all these different aspects of the GIT. Yep. Okay. Now, if you have some kind of dysfunction, now, the pressure within that portal vein is what? It's low. It's between like 6 to 9 millimetres of mercury. Okay, so you compare that to the aorta, which is 120 yeah. It's very low. Low pressure, but it's actually high flow. So it's a lot of fluid, but low pressure. Yeah. Okay. So it's going into the liver, as we discussed, with the lobules and so forth. And hopefully the pressure in the IVC is a bit Inferior lower. vena cava. And it will drain straight into that pretty well. Yeah. But if there's a problem in that whole system, it's going to cause an increase in pressure in the, po- in the portal vein. Okay, so to reiterate... Blood's coming from all those different aspects of the GIT. Yep. All those branches come together to form the portal vein. Yep. They go which to the liver. the hilum or the which portal goes hepatis. into the liver. Um, ultimately, does whatever it needs to do with the hepatocytes. Through the, the all liver. the lobules that you explained. Through all the lobules into the central vein, comes back out the hepatic vein of the liver. So, it comes out the other left, end of the left liver. Left and right, yep. And then joins into the inferior vena cava and then goes back to, to the, the right atrium of the heart. Correct. Okay, and it's going down a pressure gradient, obviously. Brilliant. So the portal vein is going to have a pressure between 6 to 9, mm-hmm. and then the hepatic vein is going to have a pressure between 0 to 2. Okay. And then that means the pressure can flow down the pressure gradient all the way back to the heart. Sounds good. All right, perfect. Now, so if you have a disruption in that pathway, you're going to develop what we call... Yeah, disruption por- in the pathway. Portal hypertension. Okay, so where okay, could this So this is a high blood occur? pressure in your portal vein. And so there's three main causes of that. It's either a cause before the liver, so as it's draining in, so that's pre-hepatic cause. Okay. It's either intrahepatic cause, so there's a problem in the liver, or there's a blockage or a disruption outside the liver on the way back up to the heart. So could pre then be something to do with the GIT viscera or the portal vein itself and its tributaries? Yep. Could it could intra be what's happening in the lobules itself and the parenchyma, which is the main tissue of the liver? Sounds good. And then post is going to be the hepatic veins or the inferior vena cava or the right side of the heart. Brilliant. God, I'm good. So the portal veins, the pre-hepatic causes, a common one would be a thrombus. So ah. instead of a deep vein thrombosis in your leg after going on a long plane ride, this is a this is a th- thrombus that a 
can form in your splenic vein or your portal vein and that would block it all back up. Now an intrahepatic cause, so a cause that's occurring in the liver itself, the most common far and away yeah. is cirrhosis. So what cirrhosis I know has to do with some scarring of the liver, right? Cirrhosis means stone-like because the liver looks like a stone. It's hardened. Yes. Because of scarring. Exactly. It's become fibrotic. Yep. So 85% of the causes of portal hypertension is an intrahepatic cause and the vast majority of the intracauses would be cirrhosis. Which the vast majority are caused by alcohol? I would imagine so, yeah. Okay. And another t- another co- another cause outside um, cirrhosis would be hepatitis. Ah, okay. The Inf- virus. Inflama- so, could okay, gotcha. All the different types of hepatitis. Yep. And then finally, a post-hepatic cause yeah. would be something like uh, a blockage in one of the hepatic veins. Yeah. Or... Right side heart failure? Yeah. Yeah. Or something wrong with the heart, like you said. Okay. So now let's quickly think what would happen if that pressure builds up. What are the clinical manifestations? Okay. So I'm thinking if the pressure builds up, everything's going to be pushed backwards. Yeah. Pressure's going to build up behind the area of blockage. Yeah. Which means, ultimately, that's going to push all the way back to to the GIT viscera, the intestines and the stomach and all that area around that way. So one of the first things that would occur is the splenic vein will become um, distended and the spleen itself will become engorged and get bigger. Wow. And that's called splenomegaly. And so that would cause problems um, with the spleen itself doing its job. So it can cause certain problems with hemolysis, so an increased destruction in red blood cells or thrombocytopenia, which is a deficiency in platelets okay okay yeah so that's one of the causes or one of the complications but probably the the most notable things that would occur is the blood that builds back up into these regions it tries to bypass the portal system and it will try to find alternative routes to get back into the systemic system so where would it go so up around the esophagus or the top part of the stomach you will have all those vessels will try and get into um, the veins in the thorax mm. and they're called the azygous or the hemiazygous vein okay but whilst it's doing that it causes varicoses to form which oh. is like varicous veins you know what varicose you know everyone knows varicose veins everyone knows varicose veins yep these what happens in these people they get varicose veins but around the esophagus oh Okay, so they get these really dilated veins around the esophagus. Yeah. Okay. Now, blood will then shunt into the zygous and the hemozygous system. Yeah. But it will be slowed down. And so they get this shed watershed area around the esophagus, around the stomach. Now, that's important to know because that's a very vulnerable region for bleeding. And uh-huh. so 30% of people with um, portal hypertension will actually develop esophageal varicoses and they pose quite a strong risk of rupturing and bleeding, and the person would probably present with vomiting blood. Yeah. Okay? That's not nice. So that's one area of varicoses. The other one is the portal vein will send blood kind of to the, your region of your umbilicus. Yeah. So the paraumbilical veins around your umbilicus. Okay. And it will make it look like a, a, a group of snakes. Yeah. Okay? And what was the Greek f- mythical figure that had snakes off her 
head. Medusa. Medusa. And so this is called the head of Medusa. Gotcha. Because it looks like the abdomen has these snakes all around it. Wow. And that's called Kaput Medusa as a sign. Yep. And that's the body trying to bypass the liver and send blood into the epigastric vein and the veins down into the common iliac. Okay? And the last one is it shoots blood all the way down the inferior mesenteric down towards your superior rectal vein, which is down the bottom of your rectum, and it will try to get blood into the middle and inferior rectal vein, which will drain back into the iliac vein. But what that will cause is more varicoses, but at the end of your food pipe, Ooh. which is called hemorrhoids. Gotcha. And so that's another sign. Okay. Okay. Wow. So portal hypertension can do a fair bit of stuff. Yeah, and then probably the last point I'll make is because you're now bypassing the liver, so you're putting blood directly into the systemic system, you're negating all the functions of the liver now. You're bypassing it. So it's metabolic functions, it's protective functions, Mm. it's detoxification functions, it's protein-producing functions. clotting functions. Clotting functions. So all all that gets bypassed. So there must be huge amounts of systemic effects with these patients. And so very commonly they'll get things like the varicoses that I explained, Mm. but also as all that pressure builds up in the portal system and their associated vessels, blood will go out of that in those vessels and accumulate in the actual peritoneum and they get this to the abdominal cavity you mean yeah they get this really big distended uh, abdomen which is called ascites so they get a distended abdomen but also in the abdomen they get variscosities yeah in addition to other so they can get coagulabilities so they can get problems with the coagulopathies Okay. So, so they get <laughs> I love increased likelihood of bleeding. Yeah. And now think about with the esophageal varicoses, that's yeah. going to put a situation in real danger. Yeah, not very nice. Uh, and then it's not being detoxified, so you're putting toxins essentially straight into the blood. Like what about the bacteria or that's the bacteria? just being absorbed so from the GIT? Increased likelihood of sepsis. So the bacteria that's just been absorbed by the GIT, it hops in the portal system, which should go to the liver, should go to the lobules, should go to the cup for cells to destroy. Mm. It's bypassed all that. And it's gone from the portal system through some other system straight into the systemic that's right. blood supply. Yeah. Because so, usually it goes to the liver, this yeah. then delivers it to the systemic blood supply, but now it's bypassing it. Wherever that may go, you said it could be up towards the esophagus, down towards the rectum, whatever, wherever it may be. Yeah. And so that means we can get bacteria in the blood. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Can I mention something that's, I think, pretty important for the liver before we finish? Was there anything else about portal hypertension no, I think you want to mention? The main ones. Okay. I think the last point I want to say about the liver is that it's actually um, one of the most vascular organs in the body. Highly vascularized, a lot of blood vessels. And because the liver itself actually has highly compliant and distendable blood vessels, Mm. okay, so easy to stretch, it actually can serve as this rapidly changing reservoir for circulating blood. Now, what does that mean? It means that the liver itself, the vasculature of the liver, holds around about half a liter of blood, okay? And That also means that if there's something wrong, let's just say with the right-hand side of the heart, right-side heart failure, Mm -hmm. that means that the blood's going to back up, right, into the Mm. venous supply, which means you get an increased pressure in the venous supply and an increased amount of blood in the venous supply. Luckily, because of the liver's ability to distend its veins or distend its vasculature, it can actually hold 
half a litre to one litre of this blood to maintain blood volume homeostasis in the veins of the body. Wow. Which is really good, right? Now, obviously, that's its buffering capacity. It also means that it plays a role if, if we have low blood volume, the liver can play a role with delivering some extra blood through the circulation. So it can increase low blood volume, the liver can, and it can also decrease and increase blood volume. Really amazing. It's an amazing for a pathetic looking organ. <laughs> it does a lot of stuff. I mean, we and went I think into it's the only, or besides your brain, I guess. Yeah. It's the only one you can't really live without. So, I mean, you can do a kidney um, dialysis. That's true. But you can't do a liver dialysis. That's true. I know you, you couldn't live without your voice box. I know that. You just don't shut up. That's rich. That's rich coming from me, right, Matty? All yeah. right, I think we're done. Oh, uh, we did a lot. Uh, this was supposed to be 30 minutes, so I think... Um, it just shows you how complex the liver is. Yes, and I keep forgetting to say to people at the beginning of the podcast, instead of the end where they're probably not listening to, that if you want to contact us, you can go onto our website, which is biologicalsci.org. Or you can contact us on Instagram, which is at GU Biosciences, or on Twitter, which is at GU Biosciences. Please, if you want to ask us questions, drop us a line. Like today, why is Pooh Brown? Why is Pooh Brown? Or I'm sure we've made some mistakes somewhere, at least Matthew has. If you want to correct him, please go for it. I love correcting Matty. All right, that was awful. That was awful. So was that. See ya. (laughs)